Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I sat down virtually, of course, with Kaya, who is a good friend of mine as well. And she's based currently in Finland doing her PhD in impact investing. Impact investing is something which I've been very interested in for a while. And it's sort of put me off initially because any and, and these labels around sort of investing or building tech companies sound a little weird to me but kaya really helped me see what exactly impact is and and you know the the sort of world around there she was one of the founders she's one of the founders of of, of nordic impact investing network um she's also built uh was one of the early people around something called catapult future fest which is this awesome uh festival meets uh, conference in uh, norway in oslo if I'm not mistaken. Um, and we get into a lot of these amazing, uh, the amazing things that she's doing and what exactly this new world of impact investing is. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. And thanks again, Kaya, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, enjoy. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Awesome. Thank you for doing this, Kaya. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, and uh, willing to come on my experiment of a podcast. <laughs> Very happy um, to be here. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. Um, the reason I wanted to get you on was because of many, many reasons. One, we're friends, so that's awesome to talk to someone uh, who you know a little bit. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting things you're involved with Um currently and in your past uh you know and, and the mix of everything so why don't you just quickly introduce yourself to the people and what you're currently doing and then we'll dive into whichever direction we want to go sure yeah so i'm kaya uh, and um i'm currently i've recently last year i moved from um uh, copenhagen to uh, finland and there's no way finland here to start a PhD uh, with a focus on impact investing research uh, and that builds on previous interests um, as I've been active in the impact investing kind of community and practices the last four or so years, uh, working with building up the impact investing uh, practices and gatherings as well in the Nordics uh, as well as in Asia. So um, yeah, as you say, I have I've had uh, many hats and done many different things. Uh, I think that my work, like the impact investing sphere has been what's uh, been coloring my my world the last four or five years. Um, and uh, now I'm kind of very happy to to take take on the academic hat again um, and uh, indulge in a lot of reading and writing and kind of theorizing and exploring of how one can actually talk about impact investing you know um yeah and before yeah, so that what what is what is impact investing like if we get into it because i've yeah. heard that word a lot in our circles and in, in copenhagen as well as you know other parts of the world that um it's kind of becoming a very interesting part of investing um mm. how do you define impact investing what is that to you yeah, in a nutshell it is the definition is uh it's for profit investments into organizations or funds that solve uh, social and or environmental challenges. So I think that definition obviously spans broad and impact investing as a practice spans all types of asset classes and everything. And, and there's a lot of 
ambiguity in the field because it depends quite a bit of who you ask, what answer you get of what impact investing is for a specific investor. Um, but if you were to kind of like the key, some key aspects are that it's about intentionality. Um, so it's about you invest in companies that are, you don't just happen to have a positive impact on a certain social aspect or environmental aspect, but it's like intentionally built within the, from the core in the beginning with what a purpose of wanting to solve a big social or environmental challenge. Um, and, uh, the investment as such is also made with the intention of, uh, like actively wanting to positively contribute to something, um, not just as a risk risk diversing um, kind of strategy. And then, uh, yeah, the for-profit aspect, like you're combining profit and positive impact. Mm. And increasingly, it's also about being able to measure and report on the like the, the positive impact and, and the profit that your investments are making. Mm. And, and, and could you could you talk about a little bit the last you said four years you've been involved in different aspects of uh, or more of impact investing could you talk a bit about your experience and what you've kind of done and and what brought you to now want to do a phd on the topic yeah i um i've been working in the together with the um, catapult world and the and the nordic impact so uh which was started well, I, my journey into it started with the very first Catapult Future Fest, which was a gathering now online, but then in person uh, taking place in Oslo every May, gathering people that work uh, well, from all around the globe, working in impactful areas, be that in forms of human-centered technology to more impact investing specific uh, areas to, to and, and that, the first Catapult, the first one was, when was the first Future Fest? 2017 if i'm not wrong i think it's 2017 yeah. yeah um i remember one of the ones you invited me to but i missed the boat because i had other things yeah. planned. <laughs> uh, and i missed it with some good friends so I, I really missed out on that one i heard it was a really good event yeah so um, we did the impact so, boat from copenhagen to oslo every uh, was... uh every every year and kind of uh, made the what you call uh Uslobotten and we call danske botten into like the a little impact sphere <laughs> within that. that yeah, really that's good. really fun. Yeah. yeah. But when we started so out there, was it was really, it was quite new, you know, like the whole to topic of like, you know, uh, exponential technologies and the things that were coming out of like Singularity University and stuff was all, it was very, very, very early days. And then as the first gathering was coming, uh, like was about to happen, like impact investing got its first, I would say like foothold in people started talking about it as a concept, like in Norway, at least. Um, so it's, uh, um, and it was the first gathering in the Nordics that was very, was primarily focused on impact. So it, it had a lot of momentum, which was kind of, which led to building out both like the Catapult Accelerator, as well as now there's several funds and, um, and, and uh, many initiatives coming out of the whole Catapult Foundation and team. So, so that started as a, as a, I guess a festival conference, whatever you want to call that, like a gathering of people, right? Mm. Uh, which was in 2017, and then it's kind of become into into many different vehicles, as you said. What is Catapult today, and and uh, what are they kind of involved with? 
Yeah, I mean, now now that I'm transitioning into the academic world, I don't want to like uh, speak uh, or I think Tarald Nystad, like the 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 initiator I, I'll, as well. I'll as talk Ida to her Falbaken at some point, hopefully. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And Ida Falbaken, they are they are very much on the forefront there. But there, it's both. It's a whole um, kind of. Uh, it has both a foundation, uh, like a catapult foundation. They're taking over the, one of the things I was part of was starting this co- um, Nordic Impact Investing Network, mm, which they're running, mm. continuing now, because there's a, there was a, we saw a lot of exciting, or I saw a lot of interest from both investors and startups, uh, amazing founders building really cool companies that have real potential to solve big uh, social and environmental challenges, but that they couldn't find, they didn't, couldn't find um uh, the right investors and the investors couldn't find you know the right investment object so the that network was a way of uh, connecting all the amazing people that were cropping up in the nordics and everything so kind of as a way of showing what's existing and to build the momentum that is uh, that the nordics has to be i think a leader in when it comes to uh, impact investing practices mm. so there's a lot of exciting things happening and but yeah, so Nordic Impact Investing Network is one, and then Catapult has several accelerators, and that includes Catapult Accelerator, Catapult Ocean, and now there's Catapult Food starting, which is also a fund. Um, yeah, and then. I think so they're quite they're quite busy. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. They're doing some good stuff. Uh, mm. No, but uh, yeah, and, I, and I'd love to have someone from 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 there on to talk more about what they're doing uh, these days uh you're out of that now i understand so but but talk to me about you were busy with sort of the early days of setting all of this up uh, with a lot of other amazing people in, in the impact space and then you transitioned out of that back into academics what was the what was the reason for that and and, and what do you what are you busy <laughs> investigating these days as a phd student yeah well i think i've always um been fan of studying to be honest so more than anything this time feels like huge indulgence in just like learning and be, being able to just take a proper amount of time to just delve deep into topics um which i think is uh, so interesting uh and and i think after eight years kind of in the with the bachelors and, and masters uh i uh, just developed a, a real love for writing academic papers <laughs> and whatnot so it's uh it's continuing on that and i think a phd had been on my mind but it just uh um and i thought it would be something i might do in the future but then i started missing after handing in mine and defending my master masters i i started missing the academic world sooner than i uh kind of expected <laughs> so started looking looking around for what 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 existed out there and uh, Aalto university um here in finland came as the only and that kind of one place that i was interested in uh going to so as i was and the funny thing is that as i was um writing my um you know application uh to be accepted as a PhD candidate at Alto, uh, they were establishing an impact investing research group there, which I had heard about, and they were looking at 
me as one to interview about impact investing. So I'm kind of coming out as a, with entering in the field with two hats, one being kind of the partial practitioner and the other being the kind of academic uh, head. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at now. And, and and that's called because uh, I have it up open here. It's called the Impact Investing Research Group, right? That you're yeah. part of. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think what's what's to me personally very exciting and very interesting. Why why I'm very interested in this is that I think the kind of investing world is so big and diverse, and there are so many different kinds of vehicles of investing, and there's sort of in this in the realm which i feel that impact investment comes into sometimes it goes into the side of social entrepreneurship but it's not that but it has elements of that uh and and then it's kind of uh, also has elements of the kind of you know regular building scaling startups uh venture world and it's kind of a mix of these two right um and and i think what's what's interesting to me is that i don't like I have some friends who want to go into impact investing or have been working around the field a little bit as well, mutual friends of ours. But I think what's, I just have no idea what actually happens, <laughs> to be honest. Because to me, it's kind of, it sounds like there's not many other parts of sort of the investing world, at least within within the sort of early stage startup region which is kind of innovating as much as impact is because you're also trying to figure out a lot of aspects of what impact investing actually is mm -hmm. right so could you could you talk a bit about what what it is that you know you your group your research group studies and and specifically um yeah any light you can shed on my current confusion with <laughs> impact investing? <laughs> yeah and and to that also um on kind of what impact investing is uh i think that's also the whole process that I'm kind of in now trying to finding rigorous ways of like academically rigorous ways of talking about what is actually happening. Right. And where, where are we, the, what's, what's the future development going to look like potentially. And part of that is realizing, I think, or putting words to, for one, like purposeful companies and companies built to solve problems that are social and environmental is not new necessarily. And, and it's also not new that purposeful companies often tend to outperform their peers, you know, so uh, which might not be known for so many, but but that is you, you have examples of that throughout history that they do well. Uh, uh, and so I think on the one end, it's about showing that there's been a dominant narrative uh, that has led us to the current setup of the financial system where profit is put beyond above anything. And that in a belief that adding a social or environmental aspect to it becomes like a paradox or that there is a trade off there. Uh, so I think a lot of kind of our research, both focus on the research group and my own is about putting words to kind of how, uh, the current financial system came to be to see how a certain dominant narrative kind of has and its truth effects and how that becomes self-fulfilling prophecies uh, kind of led us to a place where one uses uh, 
where many many investors when they hear impact investing they immediately think philanthropy uh, rather than realizing that some of the which is my point of view anyway is that the best the most profitable uh, and the impactful companies of the future are the ones that combine impact and, and profit and have that from the very core. So it's kind of separating what's what's true and what's not, in a sense, uh, to start talking about what's actually happening now. So uh, one thing I'm delving into is, yeah, as I said, like the whole history of the financial system, how models that didn't necessarily fit the current realities at the time of conception have now become fitting by a process of these self-reinforcing prophecies and, and the kind of dominant stories you, that are being told. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about something, um, one of those, one of those ideas or one of those, um, yeah. know, ways of working that have kind of maybe gone, because I think it's really interesting to sort of study how the financial system came to be. It's like <laughs> such a big part of our lives, but we don't mm. really, I mean, at least I don't know much about it. I think it's quite, uh, quite interesting to look at and and i also want to get back to you mentioned that there were some uh successful companies that have been very profitable that had a focus you know on on beyond just profit uh, i'd love to sort of uh, talk about who those companies are and and what was their uh way of working so to speak mm. yeah yeah there's a lot to go into i think uh well the book um i just got this uh, delivered yesterday it's the sociology of finance. So that's a start uh, for me <laughs> going into kind of a bit of the, it's looking at the financial market and how it came about and its developments and current state based on more of a focus on, you know, um, people uh, as well as everything that goes into um, perceptions and morality and symbolism and like all these aspects that are I think often dismissed when uh, from a financial standpoint talking about the financial market because it is talked about as if this is the only thing like that is the most natural way of um, functioning which is not necessarily the case if you look at how it kind of there's a lot of like chance that went into its current conception right so, so for example one thing that i'm delving into now and i i i'm uh, very much in the early days of reading on it but is this whole concept of how accounting practices for example which were seen as more of an art form rather than a rigid thing in the when it first came uh, to be like there was a lot of creativity allowed in that how that is one of the aspects that was part of shaping like how like the current currently used models and the whole process of like balance sheet uh, setups and, and all of, so you have all of these different streams that kind of lead to where we are now where profit and impact are seen as somehow separate that the kind of business and society the way i see it are uh split um or that there's a trade-off between the two which where i come from is mm, the, like not not i don't see i don't think that's true at all right um but yeah so so that's one uh one area yeah and yeah. and do you have any and do you have any examples of companies that are kind of uh, doing a good job of blending the two or bringing the two together currently that or or have done in the past and have been successful do you have any examples of that i think there's loads um like uh, for example Take Finland now, like one of the interesting clusters here, I think, is uh, like biomaterials and what's developing here. So you have uh, uh, Sulapak, uh, which are creating, they, they're creating 
completely biodegradable plastic, uh, which they are then wow. they've trademarked that that and then lending this uh, for any manufacturer of plastic, which can then you know uh, change their production uh, into degradable, completely degradable plastic. So huge impact, but huge profit potential as well, right? And then um, and you have uh, solar foods, which make as they say in their slogan, uh, food out of thin air. So basically they combine electricity and, and air uh, and make proteins uh, out of that, which removes everything from the burden of current agriculture systems to yeah, um, water usage. And like, so certain examples of these, which I feel like are obvious great business cases and obvious great positive impact. Cases. yeah and yeah. i think and i think that's what's kind of for me personally the exciting part because the label of impact investing maybe comes off a little confusing or someone to me who's kind of been building startups and not been on the investing side as much right i don't to me it's like okay investing just invest in great companies right <laughs> full yeah. stop like yeah. and i think and i think you know great founders great companies solving hard problems full stop and 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 hearing uh, so far what you've said, it seems like that's kind of the point to find great, great uh, innovations, either in technology uh, or uh, in business model or both, uh, as well as technology as sort of a bio. There's like, there's like so many forms of technology that are being innovated right now. And the fact that they all come under the impact umbrella is quite interesting to me because then to me, it's like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense because that's where the real innovation and the real big, big future profit lies is solving the big issues of today, which are yeah. currently unable to be solved with the current system, you know? And I think that's the exciting. And so, so that is impact as well. Exactly. And I think the okay. confusion and wow. the, okay. the impact investing term is, I think it comes, the impact investing terms come from a wish to mainstream the type of investment that we're talking about, right? Like it's about making it more known and debunking uh, kind of misconceptions of that you have to choose between profit and positive impact. That there's there you can find mm -hmm. the zero trade-off uh, practices, um, and that that makes all the sense in the world to some, and I think to many, particularly younger generations, this is very like just the way to go. Like it it comes inherently, and for that reason. I think you see, well, like there's a lot of several both investors and startups that don't necessarily use the impact investing term, even though they would fall directly under a perfect impact investing example. And um, and for some, it's also be, they they actively don't use impact investing as a term because they because there is such a it's a varied conceptions or or like perceptions of. Um, what that means and some people still think of it as philanthropy so so there is of course a conversation to be had on whether like that term is increasingly becoming part of the past and and the way forward ideally is more you you think of it's just good investments and then and then you have bad investments you know <laughs> on the yeah. other end yeah or, so. or 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 just kind of you know like if you think about it in, in an interesting way right like there's kind of investments in technologies or 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 business models that don't make sense in a, in a holistic way right and then there's so if we if we talk about it it's probably just like short-term profit right not even long-term profit it's just 
short-term speculation and profit is kind of what seems to be happening a lot of the times on the financial markets most of the time but of course you you do sort of see that being proven wrong every day by you know companies like the famous ones like tesla but also sort of you know astrazeneca with the vaccines and and everything else that's kind of happening right now it's kind of, it's kind of you know i mean i think um i was listening to a podcast with uh the with the well, i think founder or ceo or one of the early found uh maybe he's not ceo but um one of the early sort of executives of, of astrazeneca and it was really interesting to listen to the podcast because because I've never heard of that company in my life. And clearly mm. now it's one of the most important companies in the world. <laughs> and they've been quietly working on RNA technology for 12 years or or 10 years. And, and they were kind of under the radar and they were almost went out of business because, you know, their technology wasn't ready. And now it's ready. Now it's applicable. Mm. Now it's going to hopefully get us out of this, um, you know, get us out of this pandemic. And I think so. So so I think for me, as it's I've always been attracted towards sort of the 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 technology part and the sort of innovation side of things right and i think yeah. when the word kind of impact was put in that mix i was like what do you mean and i think it's exactly what you said i it was kind of the confusion in my mind of saying okay impact means like social entrepreneurship or or supporting amazing you know people in parts of the world that are that are building great solutions but for local problems right mm. uh, i have a, I have a, uh, my best friend he works at ashoka and they support uh, social entrepreneurs all around the world. And and that's a great organization. They're doing some amazing work. But I don't see them in the same, let's say, asset class as as sort of innovative technologies that are going to be scaled around the world. Yeah. Um, is, could you talk a bit about the difference there? And how do, you, how do you see it as sort of someone who's been in impact and understands it quite well? No, but I think you put it well. It's just different, as you say, asset classes. It's different focuses. Um same overarching mission but uh, where i've yeah. been working in mostly is kind of in the with uh, family offices and venture capital uh, space so and focusing a lot on the so-called impact tech and what you talk about this like innovative technological like uh, solutions that have the ability to scale globally um you know and ideally replace some of that like unsustainable current system so so that's not to dismiss the validity and kind of goodness of other approaches but that's that's the world i've been focusing on which i think is particularly exciting yeah. um so how you could like rapidly yeah. scale something into a uh, huge uh business i think nurken uh, the swedish vc who who do a lot of work in this as well um they call it sorry what they are they called what was Nur, the name Nurken, like uh, okay. n-o-r like um um borealis in swedish uh yeah i got it uh, yeah. i'll just i'll just uh <laughs> you can send me the link later we'll put it on show notes <laughs> yeah. so what are they doing uh they called it they call it the impact unicorns that, that they're looking for impact unicorns so like companies that will affect that's one cool, billion people a... positively um you know yeah, that makes it very simple, right? That makes it very clear, sort of tech terminology with the unicorn, but then, yeah. you know, around impact. I think that makes it very simple. It's like, okay, great. You know that this is sort of a, you know, high scale uh, growth company that is the outcome, the success is also when it can it, it can impact a billion people. Yeah. And I mean, I think I heard this, I, I remember 
in the early days when Singularity was coming into Europe super early, this sort of impacting a billion people, right? How do you make a billion dollars? Uh, you impact a billion people. That was kind of the the mantra that was being uh, put out uh, by Singularity. And I think, and you mentioned that as well. Uh, you know, there was some, there was some, something that you were, or that's kind of been in the in the in the realm here. But one thing which which to me sounds sounds like a thing we should maybe just talk about is that impact also just means super innovative <laughs> in some ways, <laughs> right? It feels like, at least to me from like the outside, it feels like all the good impact investments in the sense of good being sort of the scalable, you know, massive global impact. Now again, the, I'm using the same word, but having massive global outcome, it seems to be those are just crazy, insane technologies that are, you know, existing at a very, very kind of low scale. And then these investments can come and scale it up, whether it's investing in uh, early stage startups or in some other kind of vehicle, right? It seems like that also is a way of thinking about it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a big part of it, or particularly if you look at kind of this, this the startup world and the technology startups and the, and the potential of venture capital in helping small niches becoming, growing into the mainstream. Like how do you get from this, as you said, this, this completely like uh, or disruptive, which is an overused word, but or a new idea that has the potential to change current systems. Um, how do you how do you help them go into the mainstream? And there, I think this impact investing or uh, venture capital with an impact tech mindset has a huge potential of making a difference, mm, and is already right. So. I think yeah. when you talk about but for, with the word the word impact in itself, obviously like all investments have an impact. So I think that's where some of the confusion comes from. And then you can say, okay, it's about positive impact. Um, but then I think from the entrepreneurial perspective, um, other ways of talking about it is, for example, I was talking with Johan Brandt, one of the founders of Kahoot recently, and they're building up this uh this whole ocean ocean center in norway and and um in oslo and working with this um um they, they talk about values-based entrepreneurship that everything it's about the thing of the future and now is uh, that you see increasingly in norway and a lot of other places is that it's a, like startups being built based on values and that that comes first and foremost and and how that Start type of building actually gives a certain type of resilience compared to uh, regular, if you will, like more uh, non non like companies purely based on just massive, rapid, uh, short term uh, thinking. Like that, that's and you were talking about kind of how these times shed light on different types of companies and different types of ways of seeing what's or success stories and. One of the things uh, that uh, we're de delving into now these weeks um, with the Impact Investing Research Group is developing this uh, first paper on how the current crisis and the pandemic is affecting uh, value and valuation practices and perspectives on the values of investors. So like, and, and related to that, how they're conception of time is affecting the valuation practices because i think it's it's interesting if you if you think of the fact that like 
value is a product of our expectations, right? Or like in our expectations for the future. So, mm, and I think the pandemic is shed light on or reshifted a lot of different priorities and also, uh, so there's a big, mm, yeah, there's a, it's very interesting to see how, how valuation practices might be changing, not just for a current momentum, but for the longer term because of how the perception of time and expectations of the future are changing with it. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm nerding on right now. That's awesome. I mean, mm. I it, it, it seems like we're going to be having a lot of conversations, especially the more papers you write and the more things you and, and the Impact Investing Research Group kind of goes into, right? And I think that's why it's it's fun to talk to you now because like we're sort of, you're at the early stages of, of kind of, you know, going on this uh, this journey of, of researching and figuring out, you know, what's what's there and when and what's happening. And I think what was also really interesting is that it's it's a very it's a relatively new course, right? Like it's a new. I mean, it's the first one in in Alto, but around the world, I don't know many other PhDs that are focused on impact investing. Yeah, it's a completely it's a very new field of research, or it it isn't it doesn't exist as a research field yet. Yet, if you will, we're building it out, and that's why. The my interest in going here was because of their kind of being on the forefront of or being the first research group I knew of on, on impact investing focused. So, um, yeah. So the I'm I work at the it's I'm in the department of organization and management, and then I'm part of this research group as part of my whole PhD process. So, working with I'm very lucky to kind of work with um, uh, some great professors and postdocs that are. And then me, the newbie, newbie PhD, uh, PhD student in that research group. So, learning a lot. But I'm sure you bring a lot. Uh, but I'm sure you bring a lot of sort of uh, nothing against them. But I'm sure you bring a lot of real world experience, kind of having you know worked with a lot of different types of uh, members, let's say of of our of our kind of startup tech uh, community. So there's there's uh, a lot of a lot of sort of real world knowledge as well. Yeah, uh, that helps for I sure. I think one of the things. Go on. No, but I think one of the things which was which was really fun, uh, which you know we're all seeing this kind of happen, right? In in global media stage these days, kind of, you know, Elon Musk is the new super ultra famous, ultra rich guy, and and uh, you know, same goes for Jeff Bezos and all the other top American kind of billionaires, and it's funny because if you think about, I mean, I think Elon Musk is a very very good example of kind of you know just building a superior product in a superior mentality and of course nothing is perfect right there's a lot of issues with every every um every new innovation but but it's just being it's just being rewarded by the market finally it's it's kind of interesting yeah. to see after you know many years of struggling and and you know and i think that's why it's also sort of changing the way people look at and I'm not like it's not that Tesla is the only company that's doing this. There's so many other amazing companies. You mentioned a few that were that have created some stuff. I have no my brain will explode if I try to figure out how they even did it. So, but I think <laughs> what's interesting is that there's so many of of these you know kind of scientific technological breakthroughs that are coming together now and you know in the foreseeable future. How? Do you think that sort of most investors, and now I don't want you to put any of your ex-colleagues under the bus here, but 
Do you think most investors are savvy enough to understand that, like, just to find the right investments, if you know what I mean? Because mm. so many times I know investors who they're very smart on the financial side of things, but maybe technologically the team is full of ex-McKinsey people and nothing against McKinsey. You know, mm. it's all good. They're, they're an amazing institution and so is uh, consulting in general. But I'm just wondering how many of these venture capital firms and angel investors miss some of the best technological innovations because they're, you know, not fitting their mold. Yeah, right. Very good question. And I think on the one hand, I think many might be or they, they might be missing out because of being blinded by this thinking that you think you invest in a certain way and value a company in a certain way based on kind of uh, only profit models. But but then it also comes down to just as just as it comes down to the team on which companies are able to really like execute their ideas and build amazing uh, businesses. So I think it comes down to that when it comes to investors as well, like say a VC team, for example, like the more if you have that you have a diverse mix of people from different backgrounds and different perspectives can bring different perspectives uh, rather than, you know, the kind of uh, what's been seen in certain Silicon Valley investment strategies where you, you invest in your like your fellow schoolmates from <laughs> from Stanford or whatnot, like so, like that. It's uh, you need to you need a diverse team to see to see and be, see all the opportunities out there. Probably, I think that's also part of it. Yeah, I think the team definitely is a big one. But I think also what you said there is something which I'd love to double click on because mm. you've been in a lot of these boardrooms and sort of have sat with like a lot of, you know, investors and worked with them. You've been part of an investment firm in many ways. And I think what was also interesting with what you were doing with Catapult and everything else, when the conversations we had a couple of years ago was that it, it always felt very open. It was, it was like, okay, anybody can, can check it out, you know, <laughs> kind of not, not ruling anyone out just because they were not in the right school or in the right country even, yeah. uh, you know, and I think, and I think that's, that's a very positive side of the kind of impact investing world that I like because I think they just they see it as a global thing, you know. And I think that's one of the one of the um, missed opportunities. And I think things have changed a lot now, right? There's a lot of venture capital money all over the world now. It's not just based only in Silicon Valley, even though there's the highest percentage is still there, but it's you know all over the world. But I think the mentality shift takes a long time, as you said. It mm -hmm. takes a long time to kind of you know, uh, go from uh, investing in the 10th uh, Uber clone or, or, or Uber Eats clone or whatever you want to call it yeah. to investing in something which, is, because that's a proven model, it's going to make a lot of money. The world is big. There's a lot of cities in the world that need, uh, you know, very local uh, infrastructure, logistic solutions like like a Vault or an Uber Eats. And that's that's going to be huge because it's, it's a growing market and, and most of the cities in the world don't have a, you know, digitally native, mobile native uh, logistical structure for delivery of food or whatever else. So it's a good business and it'll do really well. But what else is there, <laughs> right? The mm. next, you know, decacorn, unicorn, all these amazing, you know, mythical creatures that'll come out of <laughs> profit. You know, yeah. where do they exist, right? And, and yeah. I think, and I think there's just, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of um, 
yeah there's a lot of shadows on on some very smart people doing some very smart work mm. these days and I, and one of the things also what i want to try to do with my podcast in a small way is to just invite these entrepreneurs and and or phd students right researchers or just anyone who's working on something that is not obvious because i think that's that's going to be you know it might be tough now but it's going to be very it's going to be the, have the most impact as well yeah you know oh but there's so much it's so many like exceptional founders out there so yeah the enjoy but but, but <laughs> also listening. no but i think and i mean you have a crazy network so anyone you think should be on the show please uh please you have an open invitation if you know kaya and you're building something <laughs> awesome please reach out yeah yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely you know, you're yeah. more than welcome to be on the show but i think do you do you think there is there is um is this true right are, are is there like is there a lack of diversity in the investment side not just in the team you mentioned that but like on the actual investments right are you seeing that there's um there's more and more kind of you know diversity in the kinds of investments being made or is it also still you know one one area focused mm. kind of copying silicon valley i i'd like to say that there is of course that's just based on what i see and i might be biased in the sense of working and knowing primarily kind of investors that are a bit more proactive and on the forefront when it comes to focusing on not only the typical kind of investment uh, or, or thinking thinking impact and thinking how say deep tech can be used for for good and like, like in, including that in their in their thesis so but i based on what we've seen in the nordics i'd say it's definitely growing uh hmm. significantly and rapidly like you have everything from more traditional vcs adapting their uh methodologies and investment practices to a lot of new ones coming out that are like completely impact focused uh, whether that is on a very specific niche that they're focusing on or or more broadly on kind of carbon removal or overall just impact investing. So like there's all these different facets of it. Um, and yeah, you see the same in family offices as well. Um, I would say like uh, in the Nordics and, um, and uh, yeah, it's, um, you, it's really interesting to see a lot of these developments and I'm, I'm looking primarily at the Nordic region these days and, and uh, have been. Uh, since the beginning and seeing how much is growing and I think it's also um, it's also about or one of the opportunities that also some of these American investors that were at the, the during the catapult gathering were, were were promoting was that they see the Nordic region as seeing that venture capital investment uh, is also fairly in its early, like it's still fairly early in the Nordics, there is a potential for like impact, like investments with impact in VC becoming the norm or as a way of setting a standard for what venture capital and in the Nordics is, you know, like, so um, I think that's very promising and exciting if one can, if, we, if one can lead the way there. Yeah. And I think, and I think it's kind of, it's really, it's a really important point you make there because to me what it feels like is you know it's also about competitive advantage right this is a global market and and 
there's certain regions in the world that have certain competitive advantages. The Nordics will not have a billion and a half people anytime soon. You know, um, like China has that, India has that. Uh, so there are certain kinds of companies and startups and solutions that work well for those markets. And then there's a lot of opportunity there. Now, what 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 does the Nordics have? It has a lot of science. It has a lot of, you know, deep technology. It has a lot of, you know, kind of social uh, welfare that's I mean there's so many things that are happening here that are interesting and so it it would make sense to kind of make it kind of the USP so to speak right kind of the mm -hmm. core competency of the of the area to say if you want to go for just general investments yes there's something that's happening here but majority of the investments here are for these kind of companies mm -hmm. and then you attract the best talent in the world because if the best talent in the world that wants to launch something anything you know sort of like I think Finland's done a really great job I, I've only been to Finland once when I visited uh, when I visited Slush. Uh, was it last year, right? I think so. Yeah, last year. Mm, no, not 2020, yeah. but 2019. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was, wow, well, yeah, it feels like a while ago. But, mm. And I remember just running into like these, like, of course, gaming is the big one, but also sort of deep tech and deep sort of science tech, you know, kind of material science, material tech. And I'm like... I never hear about that anywhere else. And I've met like five guys who are using carbon to make a spaceship or something. I don't know. <laughs> and there's, yeah. just, there's, just, there's so many interesting things kind of happening. And I think what's exciting is that, well, I mean, what's like to me, it's twofold. One part is exciting that there's these individuals out there and there's investors looking at them. That's awesome because that just, you know, makes me very positive of the future um, of kind of the next uh, 20 50 years of innovations that are going to come are going to be hopefully even more than what we've seen right now but on the other hand i never see any of them mentioned in like the major media outlets i only mm. see more of the same i only see more of the 50 million round series a the 100 million round series b mm -hmm. you know and i'm like that's amazing mm. but but talk to me about sort of the real innovations and i think that that's maybe also an opportunity uh, for some other from new forms of media to come up but i think mm. yeah there's just there's just i just want to shed as much light as i possibly can on sort of you know these innovative companies that are doing really interesting stuff and entrepreneurs who are maybe just one or two people now but very soon they're working on something that's going to transform the way you and i consume protein or whatever like i mean <laughs> there was this company you yeah. just mentioned earlier yeah yeah right exactly so, i mean do you have any do you have any do you have any any if if people want to go check out some i don't know some blogs or something where where some of these more innovative but lesser mainstream companies are there do you, do you have any suggestions yeah oh, so people can go check them out i just wrote, recently wrote an article actually on some of these companies in the nordics uh, oh, great. for for something called the org um okay. uh, so i can send you the link for that it's uh, kind of on, on yeah we'll, we'll link it mm. so that's one out of many. Um, yeah, let me think. I'll, I'll have a think if there are some good like blogs that dedicates focus only on these. I think there. Um, yeah, there are some, but I'll um, no. I'll, uh, I'll have a think. Okay, and and now now we're shifting gears a little bit because I want to find out how it's like to live in Finland because yeah. I've only been to Finland once <laughs> and my, my wife just started working for a Finnish company as well um, okay. so yeah. uh, but but it's during COVID so she, we haven't been up to Finland yet uh, and mm -hmm. hopefully we will soon 
because uh, if she's going, I'm going. I don't care. I'm coming up and <laughs> having fun, and and taking my daughter around Finland, so awesome. around Helsinki. Yeah. But, um, but tell me how it's like, sort of, because you've lived all over the world, uh, or you've lived in a couple of pretty interesting countries, and now you're in Finland. So talk a bit about sort of your personal journey of, you know, the countries you've lived in and how it's like to live in Finland now. Yeah, I realized when moving here that this would be my ninth ninth uh, home as a, as in a country. Um, uh, so and uh, I mean it's been it's been nice. It's been peaceful, uh, <laughs> like everyone else in the world. There very little physical interaction or like social interaction. Yeah, in I, I get. I guess these days it's kind of like you know. Anywhere in a certain region of the world, it's kind of the same. You're just yeah. sitting at home, going for walks yeah. <laughs> alone, and yeah. you know, kind it of helps in a way that staying yeah. away from people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's been. Uh, I mean, except for like the very first class, uh, everything's been remote since I started here. So a lot of the teachers and uh, fellow PhD students I've only seen seen on zoom so far uh, so i think of course the whole process of you know moving to a new country takes it takes a like extra effort in the beginning to start building up on own uh, social world and getting to know new people and being very proactive and going to places where you might you know meet meet interesting people and whatnot so um which is a process takes energy but that I've enjoyed a lot when living in different places uh, but of course that's not possible it hasn't been possible here so that whole thing is kind of just on hold um but the the few people I have been able to meet as in from the school and fellow students that's been very nice like the three three person <laughs> meetings with the fellow PhDs and whatnot and we actually just had a department yeah, you... uh, winter outing last week where we people we were skiing in the woods so then we got to to actually talk in person um with some of the professors so stuff like that um awesome. yeah but i think um so what i've uh, my my indulgence has been it kind of started when covid started and i was still in in Copenhagen, um, everything was put on hold, including work and apartment sale, and like everything just like was paused. So I started painting again. I've always been doing that since since I was a kid, but um, but painting like every day, and now I still paint every weekend. So that's one of the things that's kind of been my my um, uh, like a really good space to be in. Um, yeah. Mm. Um, during these times and and also start every morning with a swim in the sea uh, I started when I moved here in the summer uh, and then just kept going every single day and now it's a nice ice swimming when the, there's a hole open very close here by the water so yeah now I just started talking about different things yeah. I do here but that's basically my life so that but, does uh, like but, swimming but, but, and painting and uh, but that's the thing goals. as well yeah. <laughs> No, but I think I think that's I think that's super important to also just like talk about because I think these days, you know, we we're all so confined mm. to just kind of talking to a screen or working on a screen. Uh if you're not uh you know, if you're not someone who's actually working in the real world, <laughs> so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know. Um 
and and i think it's it's really important because also some of my friends in copenhagen like also you know it's super important to kind of you realize what's important you're like okay i need to get my swim in or, or get a run or you know do something which you know, gives me some physical energy and then you know you found you found painting or refound painting as kind of a outlet for you this podcast little bit is an outlet for me because part of it is also just to catch up with friends and like i don't remember the last time we had a conversation that was 50 minutes right and we're not we're not done yet <laughs> but i think it's it's great to sort of be able to sort of dig deep with with friends and acquaintances from you know your kind of work but also yeah. like i'm my also part of also what i've been missing kind of after having been very very um socially active let's put it that way in amsterdam and in other cities that i lived in kind of you know the nordics is a little colder also in the way people interact with each other right mm. and and you have to kind of get past that initial um ambiguity so to speak right people don't know you that you don't know them it takes some time and yeah. i think part of also what what is fun for me now is kind of that you know covid has kind of made it even more insular even more sort of isolated it's like okay you can you only you only interact with the very few people you have to interact with you have to get on a zoom call to talk to someone for work uh you know or and you you and you try to make some you know connections and meetings with friends like outside if you can depending on the rules with your city mm. but now with the podcast i have to talk to cool people all the time <laughs> <laughs> which is really awesome that's good <laughs> which is you know and i mean i have i have you today and i've got uh, i think another three more guests this week which is going to be really nice. fun nice yeah uh, so so it's so so it's just like uh, as long as i have the space and time and energy i'm going to just do this and you know catch up with awesome people and i think it i think it really makes it um makes it makes it fun for me as well so but on the painting note last time we spoke you said you would potentially make something for my little studio in copenhagen when i'm recording this so i'm i'm excited about uh, seeing it whenever there's something to see mm -hmm. so it's gonna be fun yeah no, i am very inspired by your your uh, your ideas and wishes there so it's not um it's not uh, it's still in progress or primarily now in yeah, the yeah. head But uh, I'll uh, I'll be sure to show it. There's there's no rush. Mm. There's no, there's no rush. You take your time. Uh, the podcast will hopefully go on for many years. Uh, touch wood. <laughs> if I if I if I if I keep if I keep doing it. So yeah, this is gonna be fun. It's um, good. I think, I think maybe here's the, here's the I wanna last one. What is one? What are you showing this me? This is the last one. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I think you I think you should. I mean, and I think what what I really like about sort of you know, having these wide ranging conversations is that, you know, now we talked about impact investing and like you're, you're, you're also a painter, which is really cool. And I think you're not, you're not making a big deal out of it, but, but that's what I think people, people need to realize, you know, if you, if you're interested in something, just go do it. And maybe, yeah. you know, it's, maybe it's not going to be great. And, and in the beginning, but if you're interested in enough, you'll go do it. And another, I was listening to a podcast uh, the other day, um and it was about you know in the media in general right there's only um very prescriptive information about what someone did so yeah. you know there's there's um elon musk is worth 180 billion or 200 billion or whatever like and and tesla stock has gone up this much right it's like 
it's just like fact spitting it's very prescriptive right but if you try and copy exactly what someone else did that doesn't mean you're going to have the same outcome mm. because it's not you no and, and I also think we're in this kind of yeah go on yeah no but also in terms of people or how people are presented or i always find it challenging to introduce myself for example because and i kind of adapted we adapted to suppose the audience or whatnot but because there's so much different like there isn't like one oh this is the one title and the one thing and the one interest and the one focus um and i think yeah, the it's way not a twitter bio no <laughs> no oh i am so bad at those types of bios because i feel like how do you you can't it's confusing if you try to package everything in that you're interested in or that, but focusing on or that you've done you know uh and i feel like all those types of linkedin twitter or like these different presentational or like bios there you have to you're supposed to kind of give a very nice punchy one-liner which is also easy to kind of uh, yeah be labeled under. unless you're on clubhouse and you can write like an essay in your bio and you know people right because <laughs> because <laughs> on clubhouse there's some i mean and, and then maybe a friend of mine's gonna listen to this uh but like there's people who have extremely long bios and i'm like guys what the hell is going on here and and i mean i i respect that you've started 15 companies before you were 12 or whatever right but mm -hmm. but like let's like let's tone it down a notch right like i think but but I also I think I totally agree with your point. There's, you know, the, there's a lot of nuance which is lost about somebody, right? And I think mm. I think our our lives are much more than kind of just the work we do. Yeah. Um, also, there might be you might do a lot of different things in your life, right? Like because many people don't know this, but you have a lot of friends in MMA for some reason, <laughs> because. And because or you know you know a couple of mma fighters yeah, yeah, yeah. and i was surprised i was like wait why does why does kaya <laughs> the impact investing uh, phd student know mma fighters so what is the story there and 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 you know how how did that come about like because that was before you came to copenhagen or or yeah. mm. No, it was during. Or was, I was it around the same time? Yeah. Um, well, I was in Copenhagen for seven years, so I was there for a while. Um, so okay. I had the, had the base out of there. But yeah, it's been a while though since I've interacted with these with these guys. But it was uh, got to know. But them it, but it, the point is just. But the point is just like you're, you know, you're not just a PhD student. That's my point. But go on. Yeah. How how do you know these <laughs> guys and who are they? <laughs> it came through. I was working with the on the uh, film film or like a, a film and movie production company uh and uh one of the projects being developed there was a mma focus like focusing on the norwegian mma players uh which are fascinating people really really and really kind and cool however they like however like rowdy they may look in the ring dangerous there. dangerous <laughs> they might be in the cage but yeah. they're complete no. teddy bears i would say <laughs> so and very very smart as well um so uh yeah that's in with with that work i also uh was also we also made a pre like a started the pre-production of a movie in nepal uh, which i managed to integrate as like my um my kind of exchange or like extra uh, like um I guess part of my a course uh, 
and credit in my bachelor's and stuff because it is arguing for like if you're a production if you're like a producer on a movie you need to know everything about business and planning and whatnot anyways uh so like that took us to to nepal for a few trips um which was wonderful and then yeah been doing a lot of different things djing uh quite a bit uh yeah yeah. that's awesome and uh yeah um there's there's many things many hats i from uh, from uh, from uh, um, from investment manager to to uh, film production to modeling to djing to academic world to <laughs> event facilitation and i think and i think that's <laughs> yeah and i think that's kind of the fun part that's why probably you know we get along as well is that i think i'm just it's just more fun to talk to people who are doing a lot of interesting things and can can pull from different you know angles mm. and i think there's too often too often you run into someone who's just you know great at what they do and then you're sitting down when we were allowed to sit down and have a have a drink together with people it's like you're only talking about the same thing i'm like okay you know there must be something more that you're interested in besides this one <laughs> thing you're awesome at right and i think i think people need to also just kind of realize like you can kind of be you know you can you can learn new things you can do new things you can you know be be really interested in something and go and learn it and produce a movie in your bachelor's and you know get and you know you can then go into impact investing and do other stuff i think that's kind of also part of part of the idea here is that a lot of times these days especially you know there's only one path that's shown like you have uh, whatever your kind of uh ecosystem is right whatever it is and i think i think what's what's interesting as well with the kind of current age we live in right like i come across a lot of people who are you know on a specific path and and they're really unhappy with it but they're like they're too scared to change because Mm. and they're like oh i'm too old i'm 29 i can't change i'm like you know people change so and i think it's, it's just funny because like there's so much opportunity today to learn you can sit in front of your computer for free learn how to do anything almost um and you know people still don't take the chance so i think just more stories of people trying to you know change stuff and do stuff is always is always fun so um yeah there's so much interesting think, out there you know and uh, i think one of the yeah, topics that we yeah. on our very first conversation for one it was like kind of uh, a lot of interesting discussion on kind of the, what's moving in the impact space but then we also clicked on the, the language love for language i think that was from the very first uh, talk right yeah yeah i think so because mm. because you speak how many languages do you speak again um eight eight which ones now let's let's go through them so uh because when i was a teenager i lived in uh, nicaragua uh, latin america uh, and i went to swedish school which they have everywhere there so i learned Swedish. I was speaking like with Stockholm dialect for quite a few years without ever having been to Stockholm. Because you went to school <laughs> in Nicaragua. That's in funny. a Swedish school. I had no too. idea. That... Yeah. Uh, okay. And then I had a Danish teacher there that didn't really understand Swedish or Norwegian. So Danish, uh, Spanish. Um, yeah. And then I was the only one in my class and my age there for most of the time. So I had like private lessons in English and Norwegian and stuff. Um, so that was a start, I think, kicked off when I was 11. 12, 13, while I was there, um, they kicked off or spurred on even more of a love for languages. And then, so when I came back to Norway for a few years, I uh, did 
well, continued on French and then did Italian. I also lived in Paris for a few months. Uh, and um, and then, uh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, I have studied Mandarin for four years uh, as part of my bachelor's as well. So I think those are it, yeah. Uh, Italian, French, Spanish, what's... Swedish, Danish, Norwegian, Mandarin, uh, English. Yeah. Yes, that's not that's that's not that many. It's, it's not that crazy. Finish. Okay. Finish is next. <laughs> but I think, um, yeah. Finish is next. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's also we definitely connected on the language front because yeah, kind of I'm I also speak a few languages. Yeah. And I think kind of growing up because I grew up in a multilingual household because mm. we were were from the north of India, but we moved to the south. And in my house, it was always a mix of sort of. English, Hindi, and Punjabi kind of mixed together cool. uh, because English was kind of seen as, you know, like the business professional language. It is it is the kind of a professional language in India. And and most Indian parents want their kids to speak good English. So and then when we went to international school, English kind of became more more also in our in our vernacular, so to speak. And then we spoke Tamil because we grew up in that sort of in the South Indian region of yeah. Tamil Nadu. So we all speak Tamil. Uh, to a certain extent so for me kind of switching in four languages in a conversation with my mom was totally normal like you know and <laughs> cool. also switching languages depending on who's in the room if you want them to understand something and not understand something that's also kind of a fun fun little trick right and yeah and i think and then kind of having moved to europe and like learning some european languages i think it's just it's it's also just when you i feel like when you start learning language at a younger age right it's just it just opens up the social capital around language for you you just Completely. understand a lot more because if you're because if you're if you're like 11 or 12 year old in nicaragua and you like can switch between swedish norwegian english and, and spanish you just have a lot more social capital you can go to places where the other kids can't and you can kind of take them there uh you know figuratively and 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 also in person probably and and that that sets up a lot in your life uh, in, a, in a funny way yeah but it's always been for me like a stemming from a wish to understand people and cultures and the places I go. It's a way of understanding where they come from. I think like a way of seeing whether one is at a, like profi fairly proficient in language is whether you can tell a joke in that language, not, not as a joke that, and it's funny because you don't speak like, or because you're learning it, but actually something that, you know, any lo like that locals would actually find and laugh at like then then you kind of turn when you manage to turn a phrase like that i think you're at a certain level so that's always a goal on my end like trying to um learn the like that it's such a big part of the whole process is learning the culture um of that country and i think yeah, and, and... like or, or that people and it's um yeah, so many thoughts now that I'm mumbling <laughs> the ideas. But... Yeah, but also on that on that note, right? Like I think I think because I I studied uh, a little bit of French when I was in high school in India, mm. and my French was not very good because you learned the words, but you didn't learn how to pronounce it, and you didn't learn how to sort of you know talk in the right way with the body language. So you kind of in everything. So you sort of when you arrive. And, I, and then I went to study French in Alliance Francaise in, in, Fra in Paris after high school. Mm. And in the three months that I studied French in Paris, like full-time intensive French, six to eight hours a day, I learned way more yeah. 
and I, I my, my French is not as good as it was right after that course, but it's still pretty okay mm. because it's, you know, because I know how to talk like a Parisian in a funny way because <laughs> I lived in Paris mm. and I studied French in Paris from other Parisians. So it's like these kind of, you know, small and I, my French is not that good anymore. But if I if I go to Paris and like you have a PhD in French from India and me go up to a bar to order a cafe, a coffee, sorry. I like, I will probably be do a better job than him or her just because I just know how to feel comfortable in that setting. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot of also sort of the cultural, the, um, you know, that goes beyond the theory of language, which I think is kind of the exciting part uh, Absolutely. for me. And I can imagine it's for you as well. Yeah. yeah and it, it, when I speak different languages, uh, particularly the ones I know the best, uh, I am a little bit of a different person, you know, like, uh, or maybe not even, not just a little bit, but quite a different person. Like there's different, say with Spanish, for example, then like the memories that come, like I, it brings back memories from my uh, time living there. And there's a completely different type of body movement, you know, <laughs> kind of tempo. Uh, so I think it's fascinating that I think we think, or it's obvious in some ways, you think a bit different depending on which language you speak. So to be able to switch between, is, it can be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and because of course the language we use affect the way you see the world. And like also, for example, with learning Chinese was so incredibly fascinating in the sense of there's just many, like have to re-perceive certain concepts and, uh, and conceptions based on their symbolism and how they see like so yeah it's uh super fascinating hmm. yeah, but did, did you also learn how to i don't know write the characters and stuff or yeah or yeah so how would you say what what level is is your chinese or your mandarin in a context of of china like how would you be like as good as a like like a 10 12 year old or a high schooler or you know just... <laughs> yeah i think uh, well now i haven't uh, practiced enough the last few years so that's that's a pity mm -hmm. but um, but uh, when i graduated uh, i was basically talking like mergers and acquisitions and whatnot uh, so kind of on the <laughs> business level but we never learned kind of like i didn't, I didn't expect that <laughs> sorry go on Kaya, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, a call came in. Uh, oh, good. Headset. Yeah, no, so, um, but we never learned, like, you know, names of fruits and colors that well and stuff. We just jumped jump straight into, okay, like, so the business, business. business Chinese. Uh, so, <laughs> but yeah, so, but fairly proficient there. Um, and uh, hopefully most of it is still back here somewhere no, uh, it'll come back it'll yeah. come back yeah but i always i <laughs> always love the writing there. actually the writing the characters i think it's so fun like uh it's all but no. like it's about me muscle memory when you write it like it's there's one there's oh. a stroke order to writing it and then you just uh you won't write it if you try thinking like how is this done then you won't then won't be possible because you have to learn tens of thousands tens of thousands of characters right so like kind of you have to just write them many 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 times and then they're in in that one order that yeah. you're supposed to be written anyways yeah i mean there's just there's just so many interesting things to sort of i think i think 
similar to you for me learning language in the beginning when i was when i was a young kid was kind of normal and then it kind of became this this social currency uh, or social capital side of things where you know you kind of are are also able to learn about people better and faster and you go from being very much the outsider to a local like this right like if you if you can if you can speak the language you're you're just a weird looking local then <laughs> you're not uh, you're not you're not a you're not a foreigner anymore and i think i think there's a lot of that sort of uh, which is which is very appealing uh, and it seems like kind of full full circle in a funny way right with with what you're doing now with impact investing and and the rest of your life of course but there is probably some connections why you want to look a little deeper beyond the the kind of the face value of stuff i would mm. imagine because if you if you like i think for most people that that live in in the us or in in parts of the english speaking world they speak english and maybe one more language right unless they're kind of third culture kids uh, like us who kind of have traveled the world and you know lived in different places and stuff like that so the f the fact that you have only ever experienced the world in one kind of wavelength if you call it that a language yeah right you're missing a lot out and i think if you've kind of from a very young age experienced multiple then you realize oh there are multiple more so clearly you cannot have a very you cannot have an arrogant view of the world you cannot say oh we know everything no 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 there's there's like so many other languages so many other kinds of people so many other cultures and yeah like we know whatever you know eight and i know i think about seven or eight as well but there's so many more yeah and i think I know. that almost humbles you a little bit right and almost kind of intrinsically makes you realize okay let me look at everything with a bit of an open eye can how can investing be made better you know how can how can we make profit more than just a short-term gain in sort of a balance sheet and what more can happen and i think and i don't want to sound too philosophical here but i think there's definitely some reason why you want to dig a little deeper and go and go in the direction and, and i think it's just, it, i'm excited to see what you uncover <laughs> not, not just in your phd but what else you do so it's going to be it's going to be fun uh, fun to follow along thanks um, yeah but there is no but there uh, is as you say like the more one knows the more one realizes one doesn't know i think that's also been the case on the phd hmm. uh start here is kind of you know when you go from like starting a PhD journey, you, you do it based on kind of that, you know, a fair amount and you have a fair, fair, fair interest in uh, academic world and deep diving and learning and that you kind of have some, some basis and, and things that you know already, but, uh, but uh, it's very clear, it becomes very clear as one starts the PhD journey as you're the newbie, you know, in the scholarly world. So kind of, it's, it's interesting to like, the more, the more you delve into, kind of an area where you're supposed to know the more the less you know basically <laughs> the, the more evidence it becomes yeah, that we know so little uh which is fascinating yeah and i and i also think and i also think sort of to add on that right the people that i like to talk to as well as people that you know are uh, the most interesting to talk to and have the most knowledge on a certain topic are usually the least kind of boastful they're not they're not the ones who are because they also realize they're kind of humbled by the work and the experiences to realize that you don't have all the answers right and i think yeah. also that same goes for you know whether it's startup entrepreneurs or, or venture capitalists the ones that pretend to have all the answers and are very 
kind of open about it, like kind of, oh yeah, yeah this is going to be, I'm like, you have, you've just not done it long enough. <laughs> that's that's no. just the thing to me. It's like, you know, if, you, if you're arrogant about it, then that just means like you haven't done it uh, long enough or you're, or it's on, you, or it's about physics or something. Okay. Then if it's about like a, like a law, okay. You know, that makes sense. Mm. So when, when someone like Elon Musk talks about battery power, they've done the work. So mm -hmm. if he's like ambitious about that, then it's like, okay, they've done the work, but you know, there's there's definitely something there as well kind of i think yeah no i don't believe in that or i'm generally also allergic to black and white or silver bulleted or like kind of like this one line answers i think this uh yeah. it's interesting to allow for the complexity however like even yeah. if it takes more more time to maneuver it <laughs> you know hmm. yeah um but i think i don't want to take up too much more of your time kaya so uh thanks uh thanks again for all the knowledge on on everything you've given us uh, and uh i will link whatever you want me to link in the show notes so people should follow you wherever you want uh, but is and, and you will send me the article from the org that i should uh, link that you've written yeah and anything else uh will be in the show notes so thanks so much and uh thank talk you soon. thank you yes thanks so much for the chat it's nice to go into all types of areas <laughs> yeah thank you